0: Welcome! You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. So we're continuing on in our series uh, we're calling Proverbial Wisdom, where we're looking through the, the life of, of King Solomon. Uh, this has been a fun series so far. There's some different opportunities for you to be participating besides just the sermons. If, you, if, you know, if you've been following along in the app or, or even online, that we, we have a reading program where we're reading through the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes through this uh, series. We've, uh, we're encouraging you to take notes as you read or even as you come uh, to the services on Sunday or participate at home. Uh, we're actually providing journals for that. Ashley has journals out in the, at the welcome uh, booth out there in the lobby. They're five bucks if. You know if you want or if or they 're free if you want, we just have them, and we just want you to use them so you can be um, uh, you can just be taking notes on what God is saying to you throughout the course of the series, throughout the course of your reading of scripture, there will be an opportunity um, actually coming up in February, February twentieth we are dedicating the entire chunk of what would be the sermon uh to hear from one another uh so the the congregation's in charge of the message uh that that uh that sunday we just want to hear what god is saying to you we're calling it wisdom of the people i think is the is the name of the sunday so so as you're reading as you're interacting with the sermons as god's speaking to you through through this series uh kind of make notes to yourself so you're prepared to share uh coming up on february 20th be be looking for that our passage this morning is in first kings chapter 3 starting in verse 16 so if you would turn with me in your bibles and then if you would stand with me uh, for the reading of god's word now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him one of them said, pardon me, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night. She took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son that I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive, and your son is dead. While that one says, No, your son is dead, and mine is alive. And the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, and he, and he then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. And the king gave this ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So, Father, as we come, we ask for your wisdom to do justice at every opportunity that we have. We ask this in Your Son's name, Amen. You may be seated. The task of a historian is a is a complicated one because the task or the work starts with the basic fact that it is physically impossible to tell the whole story. I mean, to tell the whole story of even one day in one person's life would take thousands and thousands of pages to tell the story of a nation, of a people, over the course of decades or centuries even. Well, you know, edits and choices have to be made about what to include in the story. And this, is, of course, is the task that lies before the author of the book of First Kings. He has a story to tell that is based on Solomon's life. And so he has choices to make on what stories to tell and when to tell them. And so which stories are included, and the order in which they are included, should tell us a little bit about what the author is trying to communicate to us. And I think these data, details are especially important in this passage. See, last week, Mike led us through the first half of this chapter of 1 Kings that tells us about this life-defining dream that Solomon has in which he encounters God. In the dream, God presents Solomon with the opportunity to ask him for anything he wants. And Solomon asks God for wisdom more than anything else. And God grants his request. God gives him wisdom. And last week's passage ends in verse 15 with Solomon waking up from this amazing dream encounter that he has with God. He sacrifices, makes a big, huge sacrifice to God, goes out, throws a big, huge banquet for all of his uh, people. This is the pinnacle event in Solomon's life. You know, rightfully so. He's just encountered the living God in a dream. Everything that happens next happens in light of this, this encounter. And so it's interesting to me that of all the events that the writer of First King could choose from, he chose this story. Not because it happened the next day. I mean, the, the, the way... Uh, the passage starts, this event could have happened 10 years after the dream. No, this story comes next because there is something here. Something about this story that the author believes is the perfect display of Solomon receiving wisdom from God. Of all the stories he could have told next, he chose a story about justice. Now, according to uh, dictionary.com, justice is the maintenance or administration of what is just by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims. The impartial adjustment of conflicting claims, which certainly is what faces Solomon in this case, right? I mean, two mothers each claiming that a newborn baby is hers definitely fits the category of a conflicting claim. And it is Solomon's job to see that justice is done here. Now, we get our English word justice from the Latin word use, which refers to that which an individual is entitled by virtue of being a citizen. Essentially, That word used referred to a person's rights, which points to this very basic assumption that we, as human beings, have always had concerning living in society. That That there are foundational, or we might even call them inalienable rights with which we have been endowed by our creator, that belong to us, that we possess just by virtue of being human. That much seems to be agreed upon by all of us. Now, what those inalienable rights may be, and what they actually look like in real life, ah, this, this we have a harder time agreeing on and so it is a regular component of living in society that we come into conflict when it comes to the exercise and defense of our rights it's a truth that every parent is all too familiar with go to any household with more than one child in it and put your ear to the window or in some cases even stand two houses away and you will hear a steady stream of disputes over what is mine, mine. Or, you know, there's border disagreements over what territory each child may claim as their domain. Touching seems to be a big conflict in amongst children. What is fair? I mean, the amount of times that the phrase... That's not fair, is uttered ringing through the air. The funny thing is that nobody has to train a kid that they should expect things to be fair, right? No one has to educate them as to their inalienable rights. No, every child begins life convinced that they have them. Obviously, These disputes don't end with childhood. Adults living in society are perpetually in conflict with one another. It is the most basic consequence of our fall into sin. We now are in conflict with one another. And so the practice and administration of justice has been a foundational concern in society. Social justice has been a concern from the beginning of time. I mean, sometimes you hear people talking as if the idea of social justice was some modern-day, politically correct, first-world concepts that millennials invented on social media. But it's not. Humanity has been thinking about the issue of social justice forever. The pursuit of social justice has prompted migrations and revolutions and changes of regime, leadership, you know, creation of new political systems. And the most surprising thing about all that is that still after all these years, we stink at it. A fact of which we have been reminded this past week as our country country celebrated the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King, who dedicated his life to pointing out to us as a nation that we had defaulted on the promise of justice insofar as the citizens of color were concerned. And, of course, was promptly assassinated for daring to call us to a life of social justice in our country. And I must say, it isn't always for lack of trying. I mean, people have, in general, tried to do justice. Our efforts are recorded in laws and legislation that can be dated back thousands and thousands of years to the code of Hammurabi and the law of Moses. The problem is that laws, while being helpful as points of reference in society, they are actually powerless in and of themselves to establish or maintain or administer justice. As Dr. King points out in his letters from a Birmingham jail, the inability of law alone to secure justice is found in the fact that first, well, some laws are in and of themselves unjust and go against what Dr. King referred to as moral law or God's law. And then secondly, that even when laws are written that are in in accordance with God's law, they are often administered by unjust people who manage to twist a moral law and use it for injustice. Not that this is something that has just happened in our country's history. I mean, a quick read through the Old Testament will show you that this is something that God charges uh, the leaders of Israel with. Read through Matthew chapter 23, And Jesus accuses the Pharisees of doing the exact same thing. In the pursuit of justice in society, it is not enough to simply have legislation. Because legislation must be itself just in accordance with God's desire for human society. And it has to be applied or administered justly. You see, justice is dynamic. It is situational. It requires presence and attention to the moment. The factors of every situation determine and affect the practice of justice. In this case that the writer of 1 Kings decides to present here, it's a perfect example. Solomon is king. He would have presided over dozens of cases a day. And yet, 1 Kings decides to put this one right here. I believe it's because of the degree of complexity that it presents. I mean, right from the beginning, just look at the parties that are involved. The plaintiffs in the case, if you will. Two prostitutes. In Israel, in those days, just being a woman, put you at the bottom of the social power structure and meant that you had very few, if any, rights to defend. Now add to that that these two women were prostitutes. That would place them at the very bottom of the very bottom. These two women were as socially powerless as you could possibly be. They had nothing to offer Solomon. They had no way to leverage him to hear their case or to rule In their favor. And yet here they were standing before what would in those days amount to Israel's Supreme Court. And of course there are the complicated details of the case itself. There are no witnesses here. No one outside of these two women had had ever seen either of them with their Respective babies while they were alive. No one knew which baby was which. There's no DNA labs at this point, so no blood tests to be run. Definitely, no fathers are involved to be able to identify which baby was which, was theirs. All Solomon has to go on here are two women, each claiming that the newborn baby was theirs. Now, the only part of this case that isn't complicated is what the right answer should be, right? I mean, what the just outcome would be, what God's law, what the moral law on the matter it is. I mean, the right answer here is a slam dunk. Of course, the baby should go with his actual mother, But just knowing the right answer isn't enough. Justice is not just about the right answer. Justice is administering or applying the right answer in the right way at the right time. In other words, doing justice requires wisdom. And true wisdom, as Mike centered on last week, comes... From God. For those of you who have been following along the, the, the reading plan, uh, this past week we read through Proverbs 8. And in it, Solomon writes, and, and, and here in this passage, Solomon is writing as if it is wisdom itself who is speaking. From Proverbs 8, verse 12, he writes, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. Evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice. Wisdom walks in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice. These two words, righteousness and justice, they refer respectively to, the two, to two Hebrew words, uh, tzedekah and mishpat. My Hebrew is awful, that's not how they're pronounced, but that's how the way I'm going to say it. Uh, tzedekah and mishpat. These are two related terms that actually sometimes are used interchangeably. In fact... In some languages, for example, in Spanish and Albanian, the two languages besides English that I know of, uh, they are actually translated into the same word, just or justice. The fact that English uses righteousness instead of just, there's actually a whole conspiracy theory about that that we won't get into right now. Uh, Now, tzedekah or righteousness, refers to the character of a person, uh, of being a just person person mishpat on the other hand which is most commonly translated as justice or judgment in our english bibles the old uh, uh, it refers to the application of what is just or right a helpful way to think of the difference one commentator says is that tzedek refers to the character of the defendant while mishpat refers to the action of the judge Both elements are essential in the practice in doing justice. And both aspects, Proverbs 8.20 tells us, are inexorably linked to wisdom. And of course, both of these aspects are put on the test in Solomon with this case. Uh, We see Solomon's character is put to the test because he is a person of power over two powerless People. I mean just picture the situation. These two women, their very existence represents what is worst about society. Their role in society is a crime. They didn't represent some voting block that Solomon desperately needed to consolidate in his favor in order to secure and further his agenda in the world. Solomon couldn't leverage their favor to help establish or further his power. These days it would be like two illegal aliens appealing to a congressman. Why would Solomon even bother to listen to this case? Throughout the Old Testament, the character quality of justice, of being a just man, a just woman, it is always measured by a person's actions and attitudes towards the powerless. Proverbs 29, 7 says, the righteous care, the righteous, the sedek, the just, care about justice for the poor. But the wicked have no such concern. It's a consistent theme. It is the truest test of character, of sedekness. How we respond to those with less power than we have. It was true for Solomon's reign. It is true in ours as well. And so we see the fruit of God's wisdom operating in Solomon in that he did not dismiss these women out of hand as insignificant, as not worth his time. I mean, how easy would it have been for him to be just righteously indignant at their very presence? to deny them the right to even have children because of how these children were conceived. The kind of women that they were. But the wisdom that is from God, James tells us, is considerate, which is what we see in Solomon here. Wisdom leads us to the righteous character that justice requires, but character alone does not secure Justice for the mother in this story or even in the situations that you and I face. Justice also requires righteous action. Solomon has to make the right decision here. He has to do something. He must uncover the truth. And I don't know about you, but one of the questions I have in this passage is, why doesn't God just tell him what the right answer is? Psst. Hey. The baby belongs to the first one. I mean, obviously, God knows the answer. And yet he didn't give Solomon the answer. And he didn't give him the answer, I believe, because at its core, justice is not about right answers. But the practice of justice is, in fact, a skill It is something that we learn how to do. I give this speech to my kids all the time about math. You know how math is not about learning all the answers to all the problems. It's not about memorizing what the answer is. There are just too many variables, too many variations, too many possible configurations to memorize all the right answers that could possibly be on the test. Math is about developing the skill at taking the variables and the details and all that stuff and that's what it sounds like when you do math and arriving at the correct solution. I think the same thing is true of justice. I mean, even in situations like this one, where the answer is obvious, the child should end up with his mother here, but how to apply the answer isn't. Which is why in every situation, just, justice must be figured out. It must be discerned. And so in every situation, justice requires, demands, wisdom. The reason God doesn't whisper the answer in Solomon's ear here is the same reason that he doesn't supernaturally give you the answer to your math final, kids. That's never going to happen. Because he wants us to learn how to do it by relying on his wisdom. Which again, as James reminds us, is something God is very willing to give, not just to big powerful people like Solomon, but to any who ask. And justice is an essential skill in the kingdom living because believe it or not, we all face scenarios like this one all the time. I mean, I may not feel that way because we're not like the ruler of an empire like Solomon was, but we are kings and queens of our own little domains that God has given us. For each of us there are people in our sphere who have less power, less influence than we do. And so each of us encounter an endless stream or an avalanche to use the kind of the image that Mike painted for us last week of situations where we must make impartial adjustments of conflicting claims. Whether it is a parent deciding You know, settling the dispute between two children, accusing each other of invading each other's personal space. A teacher deciding what grade to give a student for their work. An employer deciding which candidate to hire. A general contractor deciding which vendors bid to accept. A citizen calling an elected official to account because of a position that he or she supports. On and on and on we could go listing out the everyday scenarios where we are called upon to administer justice. Even in situations where it would seem we have no direct jurisdiction. Racial tense encounter on the other side of the country. The mask mandate or lack thereof in another state or in another county. Even Russia's impending invasion of the Ukraine. The judgments that we make in our heart Concerning these matters, they matter. They become part of the collective spirit of our community, of our nation. It affects whether our nation leans towards justice or away from it. This is why, when the prophet Micah says to the people, He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act. Justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is not a call just to rulers, just to people in civic authority, just to people who wear a badge or wield a gavel. It is a message to mortals, to all of us. The call to do justice is to all of us. And therefore, so is the desperate dependence on the wisdom Of God. Whether our action of justice is limited to our spiritual attitude, or as in Solomon's case, we have an actual decision to render that will directly decide a case under our authority. And so there Solomon is. The facts of the case are set before him, no witnesses, no evidence. Only as she said, she said, of whose baby it is. How is he going to figure this out? God just whispering the answer to him doesn't help. Because then in the, uh, in the eyes of everyone watching, it would only seem like, a, like he flipped a coin. There would be no way to verify that he was right. That justice was in fact done in this case. And again, just like when all you do is write the correct answer at the bottom of the problem in the math test, if you don't show your work, it doesn't count. God didn't whisper the answer to him, but he did equip him with the wisdom to figure it out. Verse 24. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive and deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, just give her the baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, "Ah, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. This is the original courtroom drama. You can almost hear the collective gasp from the gallery. Like those movie scenes, you know, when the lawyer is able to, you know, get a confession out of a witness on the witness. Like, you know, you can't handle the, you know, it's one of those things. You see, because of his reliance on God's wisdom, Solomon was able to work justice out in the eyes of all the people in a way that gave glory to God. Verse 28. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw. They saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. And in these days of pervasive conflict, where in almost every setting that we find ourselves, people are pronouncing judgments on what they believe is right and wrong, I can hardly think of a more effective way to declare the greatness of God and the good news of his kingdom than by becoming people who, in wisdom, can discern Justice in the eyes of all the people, but we must seek wisdom, desire it, pursue it, develop it, ask for it from God, who says james one five says gives generously to all because if we live if we learn to live and think and operate in god 's wisdom, justice doing justice can become second nature to us. And in wisdom, we can help build the kingdom of God. A kingdom in which, as Dr. King reminded us, justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we live in a world so full of conflict. We live in a world that is immersed in disagreements and disputes, a world that has spent our entire history seeking justice and not been able to find it. God, give us your wisdom that we might be your agents of justice in the little corners of the world that you have placed us. That in every opportunity that we have to return a verdict, that it might be true and just. That you might be glorified in the eyes of all the people, that humanity might experience How good it is to live in the reality of your kingdom. Praise in Jesus' name.